0: Oh my goodness, you guys are going to love this episode. If you haven't heard of The Brain Guy, aka Scott Robinson, then you are welcome. Scott is a master healer, brain enhancer, and world-renowned mind. He is also a senior lecturer with the Academy of Applied Movement Neurology and works directly to achieve balance in the governing systems of the body, optimizing nervous system communication, as well as upgrading the subconscious programs to meet the requirements of your very best life. Now, if that doesn't sound like someone that you want to sit down and have a chat with, then friend, I don't know who will be at your table. Honestly, this conversation with Scott, I wished we weren't on a time crunch to have it um, because I could have chatted to him all day. I was honestly sitting there floored Please go follow him at the Brain Guy if you like to geek out on all sorts of things like neurology or you like the sci- finding out the science behind um, just how everything works. You will love him. He's so relatable and honestly, this is one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had with a, one of the most brilliant minds I've ever spoken to. Enjoy. <laughs> Been so keen to chat with you for the longest time. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Uh, thank you very much for having me. I, I'm excited to be here, and, and just the little the little pre-chat that we've already had has, has got me pumped for a good for a good conversation. So no, I'm, I'm looking forward to all the stuff that we'll cover. Thank you for having me, Katie.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad, and I I, I did say to you, oh my gosh, I wish I was just recording this because you, everything <laughs> that you say is like so profound and all it all links back and um, the way that your mind works and your knowledge base is just fascinating. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today because I love geeking out on all things neurological. Like even the word like neuroplasticity, it makes me giddy. So maybe (laughs) let's start there. So what exactly is neuroplasticity and what does that mean for us?
1: it, It has profound implications for us. Essentially, what it means is it's the brain's ability and willingness to perfect itself over time, and it's we have two types of neuroplasticity. Well, actually, we we could say that we have three. We've got passive we have passive neuroplasticity, which is what children have when children just learn by, by like sponges; they just absorb. So, um, example: my little boy is a really really keen little athlete. And he wants to go to the Olympics one day. He's only nine. And he sits in front of YouTube watching athletics videos all day, every day. He knows every world record. He's absorbed all of this stuff. And his mother and I sit there and say, listen, mate, at some point you really are going to have to actually run. You can't do it all just by watching YouTube. But then he went to his regional championships after just watching long jump and really not practicing at all. And he jumped a 60 centimetre PB because he's been watching Mike Powell and Carl Lewis and, all the other guys and i've got photos of him. his technique looks exactly or very very similar to what some of those top level guys are doing he's just absorbed it just watching yeah. um so his little brain put together these motor patterns just watching which adults we we will really struggle to do that and that's been my experience um coaching people in, mo- in movement over a number of years we actually lose the ability over time we actually lose the ability to um understand the patterns understand what we're actually seeing and then have the brain understand what brain regions what areas what parts of the bodies it actually needs to bring together in a cooperative to actually formulate the new movement patterns and so that's something that we actually have to we actually have to work on redeveloping in the adult brain so it's one of my if we're talking if we're geeking out that'll be one of my favorite brain areas and you can't really you can't have a favorite brain area not be some some level of geek so (laughs) My fav one of my favorite brain areas is sup- the supplementary motor cortex, because it does exactly that. Oh. It actually, it actually understands. And, and when you're looking at a new movement pattern, you want to put, you want to put some movement together. It assesses what it's seeing and then says, right, we'll need this brain area. We we'll need that brain area. You're going to need these muscles. You're going to need those, you know, these sensory receptors you're going to need. Right. This is, these are all the parts to the problem. And then it passes it off to once it's collected, the team, put the team together, it passes all that information off to the pre cortex and the premotor cortex can start putting the motor plan together. Um, as far as adult neuroplasticity goes, what we have, we say, we need focused attention. We need several things to happen. We need focused attention. We need alertness and we le- need a level of urgency. So when we have those things all together, then we can actually change the brain we can actually start creating new neural connections around new movements around new thought patterns new behaviors but all of that is only it's only positive if we're actually really generally if we're actually concentrating hard and focusing ourselves on on a particular pattern or a particular outcome we can experience what we we would call maladaptive neuroplasticity so the negative or bad changes um When we're just, if we have a traumatic event or if we have an injury, and we might call that compensation, that's the brain just rewiring itself around an injury or a dysfunction. And one way to look at the brain, look at the nervous system, is you can say it's a little bit like a freight train. As long as you are alive and breathing, it'll just keep moving. It's just got momentum. It'll keep moving forward. Um, It'll just find new ways to work. It'll find new ways to compensate and just keep you executing the tasks that that you want to get through it might cost you a bit of pain. It might cost you more, more energy, but it'll just, it'll just look to keep changing itself and keep uh, and, and, and help you continue to function on some level or other. Athletes can do that really, really well. Athletes have these amazing brains that you can just take muscles away or, or even sometimes body parts away and they can just solve by injury and they can just solve movement cha- challenges. They can just, they can just adapt, which is, which is an amazing thing to see. But we call positive neuroplasticity adaptive. So when we're adapting to different stresses and adapting to to, to new levels of movement, new levels of output and maladaptive neuroplasticity um, is what we call when we're doing it around a trauma or something negative. And so the body literally changing itself in ways that we would not deem to be optimal. So children can do it passively, children can just absorb, adults need focused attention. And we always need to remember that the brain has a negativity bias. So if we wanna do it positively, the brain is trying to pay attention. It wants to pay attention far more easily to negative stimuli than it wants to to positive. So if we want to change our brains for the, for the good or for the better, we do actually have to concentrate. We have to focus and we really have to um, set clear intentions about the outcomes that we, we want to affect.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of the work that I do with my clients in terms of like mindset coaching is a lot around working with your thought process and that does feel especially when you're trying to change it to um a more positive or even to a neutral state where you're you know you've spent so long in the negative or you know putting mm. yourself down and that sort of thing it feels really clunky it feels really foreign to sort of walk yourself through those paces to get to a place where or a mm. thought, or a process that is you know something that's actually going to support you in some way. I think it's, there's this massive misconception that it's just going to be easy and feel really fluid and all peace, love and mung beans, but it's quite clunky and um, like, it's a process, right? Hmm. Think of it.
1: Yeah. The way I, the way I've described it too, and typically it's with clients that I work with on on conditions like um, anxiety, OCD, um, depression and other, other mental health challenges is you can look at it look at it through the lens of neuroplasticity and really if you're in a particular, you're describing being in patterns, you're describing people being in these patterns that are just not helping. They're not actually, it's not helping them realize their very best self. It's not helping them realize their very best life or, you know, not helping them find their, their greatest or highest expression. And so when they're, when people are stuck in these patterns, really all it is, is the brain over time, the brain is just optimized and given more energy to the neural connections that maintain those particular behaviors and those particular emotions that go with that level of life or that experience of life and so you could look at those neural connections imagine if it's if there if there are behaviors that are, are not serving they're sort of self-sabotaging behaviors or um, negative thought patterns about the self and, and they're getting down on the self the neural connections that, that support those or that, that maintain those functions, if you spend most of your time in those behavioral patterns, those neural connections are going to be really thick. So you could imagine that those neural connections look like big stormwater pipes. They're really, really big. There's a huge amount of energy that can actually flow down there. And they're really, really easy for the brain to find because they're, just, they're, they're habitual. The brain knows exactly where they are. And it's really easy to find and, and sort of, and just push a whole bunch of energy down those, down those pathways, the positive States. If you haven't spent much time in, in States where you're, you're giving yourself love and giving self care and being kind to others and literally just, you know, being giving and, and you're, you're exhibiting and exhibiting all the behaviors that you would like to have in your very best life. If you have an idea of that, but you've never experienced it or you just haven't spent time there, then the neural connections that that support those types of behaviors and those types of behavioral outputs, they're going to be really difficult to find. They might not even necessarily exist. You might actually have to create them, but you can look at them. Maybe they're like small, small, little, tiny, little, little copper electrical filaments, little tiny cop, copper electrical wires. Mm-hmm. And so they're really difficult to find. And it's difficult for the brain to push a whole bunch of energy down there because the, the diameter is just so small. It's so thin. It's, it doesn't, it's not a lot of energy actually fits down there. So essentially what you're doing when you, every time you spend time in those positive states that you would like to get to, what you're doing is you're pushing energy down those pathways. You're depriving energy or depriving, depriving energy from the big stormwater pipes that support the, the negative behaviors that you're looking to, to, um, to get rid of. And the brain optimizes itself over time. It's not going to waste energy on connections that it has no need for so the more you send energy down those the the good that the connections that support the good behaviors and the new level of life that you want to get to then the more the brain looks to build those connections out and it looks to thicken out those connections and they become easier to find over time and the other ones as you deprive them of energy energy they begin to they begin to sink because they begin to shrink because the the brain's not going to waste energy maintaining these massive big stormwater pipe size connections If you're not going to use them so the brain will optimize itself and that's that is that is very much the 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 process of of neuroplasticity so you can change the brain over time and and i've found that people have reported back to me that just having that little visual having that little analogy of what they're doing really really helps because then they don't get down on themselves when they can't stay in those positive states for long periods of time they just recognize that okay those connections are just still thin and there's not very many of them so I was just able to maintain myself there for 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I can celebrate that, pat pat myself on the back. I understand the brain's trying to go straight back to those negative stormwater pipes. But that's cool. Now I've realized the brain just switched me off. I'm going to consciously try and go back and find it again. And it'll just get easier and easier over time as those those new connections begin to increase in number and volume.
0: What you have just said is so important because... It's like, I feel like there's this massive um, information disconnect when people are sharing, like, do affirmations and, um, you know, or pay attention to your thoughts, which is what I even will share. But it's Mm -hmm. like the why as to why we're doing this, like why, like, and you have just explained it so well in terms of like that visualization between your stormwater drains and your um you know that
1: that electrical filaments. yeah
0: it's the process of strengthening one and Mm -hmm. shrinking the other which gives you an easier um or a more habitual way to move through something and change it for the better i think there's because there's yeah there's so many ways to um there's so much information out there But that why I think is is left out of so many information packets. But in terms of rewiring our thoughts and changing patterns, we've all heard it takes twenty one days to create or break a habit. This is, I'm not buying twenty one days now. Hmm. Hearing that, um, no, no,
1: no. I'll I'll look and look. it, It depends on how you work. And I would say that most processes in our society are very much conscious mind processes. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of people that come to me that have gone and done talk therapy. They've done, you know, they've been with a psychiatrist, they've been with a psychoanalyst, they've, you know, they've done all kinds of counseling and, and really the way that I try and describe it to people is for the purposes of understanding, we've, we've split, we've split the mind up into different segments. So we say we have a conscious mind, we have a subconscious mind, and then for those that are prepared to acknowledge it, we actually have a super conscious mind as well. So your conscious mind, you know, which you and I have access to, and that's what we're enjoying now. We're having this delightful conversation. That's that's literally only 5% of your total processing. That's like 5% of what is going on inside that amazing quantum field that you have inside, inside your cranium. So 5% of what's going on. Now, really what's happening is when you go and see, if you go and, and try and, Conduct a, a conscious mind process, and I'll just I'm going to use it in the in the therapeutic sense. I'll give you the example in therapeutic sense, and then we can take it to affirmations and to self help from there. But if you go and see a counsellor, and this is not to say that counsellors don't do a good job, it's not to say that it's not effective because you can definitely have good outcomes, and certainly you know many people have experienced that. Um, really, what you're doing is you're going, and if you've had a traumatic event or you're trying to undo some patterns, you're going to the counsellor. The counsellor says okay, let's talk through it. I need you to tell me your experience because I need to understand it. You need to tell me what, what, what's happened to you so I can understand it. Then I can process what you're telling me and I can give you some advice. So basically, tell me what you have in your conscious mind. I'll then run that through my conscious mind and then I'll give you some strategies that I learned at university or that I know have worked for other people and we'll, we'll go from there. Now, that can, can work, but it's, it's, it's very challenging and essentially for a lot of people, it's really hard because they're, they're having to relive challenging moments in their life and it's, it's heavy and it's hard. And sometimes it's painful. And, um, and, and really you're relying on what's in that other person's conscious awareness. Now the other 95% is your subconscious mind and your subconscious mind, whilst it's not the most highly, it's not the most highly evolved part of the brain. Um, it's way more powerful. You're talking about 95% of what is going on inside, inside your brain, inside your mind. And so, when we tap into the subconscious, if we can tap into the subconscious and get the subconscious working for us, well, you can overturn behaviors in kind of no time flat. Because the thing is, when you're working consciously, you're making a conscious decision to try and change a behavior. You talk to that therapist, the therapist says, How about you look at things this way and try this new behavior? You say, Fantastic. You go out and you, you go and try that. And with your 5% of your mind, you're trying to remind yourself to behave in this new, in this new way. Uh, but 95% of your mind is trying to pull you back to an old pattern and it's an uphill battle. If you go the other way around and you just change the subconscious mind, well then all of a sudden you have 95% working for you. The conscious mind can just be, can just work like an observer. It can actually just notice what's going on. And when it realizes that there is something that there's been a change, then the conscious mind is happy to jump on board. And the the very reason why it's so easy and it's so easy for the conscious mind to jump on board once the subconscious is aligned is, and this is really important, is there's no one belief that has a mortgage over the entire mind. People, people get so wrapped up in these big limiting beliefs and in these beliefs that they've held for their entire life. But there's no one belief that, that has a mortgage or, or has a lock on the, on the mind. The mind, conscious mind included, just wants to know that it's safe. It just wants to know that it's going to survive. And that basically means it wants to know that there's an energy efficient setting. It wants to know that there's an autopilot that it can run from. So when you change the subconscious and the subconscious then creates a new output, which is a new behavior and your conscious mind notices that all of a sudden you're just doing different things that are aligned with what you actually wanted. The conscious mind can literally look at that and then connect with the new belief that you've put in the subconscious and literally look at the situation and go, Oh, that's right. Okay, cool. Of course, because there is that, there's that new program thing where we are our very best self. Ah, oh, okay, great. I'll let you have it. I know now. I know there's an energy efficient setting. I know we're not going to run out. We're not going to run out of energy too soon and, and starve. So, and that's that's basically it. That's why twenty one days is if you work consciously, then yeah, you need to work consistently in a dedicated fashion, not put a foot wrong for a period of time to try and overwhelm the subconscious, and that's challenging. Yeah. But if you can work with that more powerful part of the mind, well then literally the mind can just change its output kind of on the spot and life can be very, very different really quickly.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. I just was, cause there's so many little tiles and things getting around on the net and it's like, mm. you cannot believe every single thing <laughs> just because it's in a pretty font and <laughs> up there with the by someone. So, um, I was curious about that one. Um, the full visceral response when triggered by something now we've spoken Mm. a bit about trauma what happens there like you know when we're having an experience to something that um you know it could be anything someone says something and we have that full um like flood of emotion that Mm. could not possibly have anything to do with what was directly said like it's more historical in nature but what is actually happening within our brain and it's obviously our subconscious in that aspect that's triggered by something i'm guessing based on what you have just sort of said there that we're running off that other 95 Mm, percent look
1: uh, there's yeah, look, it's it's probably a complex answer and there's a, there's a complex number of ways we could we could answer this. And there's probably, there's a whole bunch of different things that can potentially be happening to different people in different moments. So I'll just give you a couple of really quick examples, but essentially what you're doing is you, what you are talking about is you're describing feelings. And so when we talk about feelings, really an emotion, an emotion is a thought in the mind and a sensation in the body. And the two can't be separated. The, the two are one, they can't be separated. So and that's why, we, that's why we call them feelings. So we have a thought and then we get a sensation in the, in the body at the same time. And if it's strong enough, then we'll, we'll be really consciously aware of that feeling in the body. If it's just subtle and it's, on a low, and it's kind of on a low level, then we might only be vaguely aware that we're just having a thought. And we, if we're not that interoceptively attuned we, to what's going on in the body, then we might not actually be aware that we're experiencing something, um, a, a, a visceral or a, you know, a somatic sensation in the body. Now, what happens with trauma? or what happens with stronger emotions. So your brain remembers pretty much everything, all the information that especially, especially anything that could impact your survival. So like we said, your brain has a negativity bias and it, it, it pays attention to negative stimuli because it thinks those stimuli are, are the ones that could potentially affect its survival chances. And so it stores all information regarding trauma so that one day if you're in a life-threatening situation, your brain can search through all the relevant data um, of life-threatening information and come up with uh, a potential survival response strategy in less than one 500th of a second, and then give you an instinctive response to take an action that might possibly save your life. So all that information is kind of is stored and it's accessed in, in, in a dramatic situation or a life-threatening situation It's accessed in, in, in an instant. Now, when we have emotional traumas, the body is an open system, and everything is connected. is literally connected to everything. So your limbic brain, which we call our emotional brain, mm-hmm. that's what stores all of our emotional traumas. But that's connect. That is that is the most connected neurologic system. So that has connections, direct connections with all of the viscera. It has connections with our endocrine glands. It has connections with fascia. It has connections with muscle. It has connections to everything in the body. And so, if you have, let's say, you have an abandonment conflict from birth. So let's say that, you know, your mother had a, had a C-section and for whatever reason you were taken off to recovery, you didn't get that bonding time. And there were complications, there are complications with, you know, with mum's recovery. And you missed the first six hours. You didn't get to you know have that skin-on-skin contact with with mum. And there's an abandonment conflict. There was a sense of there was a separation or a separation conflict or an abandonment conflict. Now that information is stored. That's not to say that you can't grow up and be a well-adjusted human being and you can't have a normal life, but at some point when you when your nervous system, when your mind Makes uh, makes a correlation or recognises a situation where you've been separated from a loved one, or you feel abandoned, you have feelings of abandonment. That trauma can be made relevant, and then all of the viscera, all of the glands that happen to be correlated with that particular um, with that particular trauma they will experience something and so they may experience a dysfunction they may experience pain they may experience a surge of energy but there'll be there, there will be a change in the physiology in that moment as soon as the relevant as that conf- that old conflict has been made relevant and this is this is just kind of the way that the the brain works and so what i see from people all the time is people will come to me when they've got pain or they've got problems they've got issues they've got different things going wrong in the body and they're aware that they are experiencing a stressful situation maybe it's work maybe it's relationship it could be whatever whatever it might be but it's very often not the current situation that is creating those problems in the body it's more that the current situation is just making an old biologic conflict relevant and then all of the physiology that's correlated with that by bio- that historic biological conflict is just being made relevant and is 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 kind of coming alive is actually the dysfunction or the pain or whatever it is that's stored in those tissues is, is um, being made relevant and your nervous system is having its attention drawn to those issues in that moment. Um, and so I, that's something that happens a lot and that's what that's very often what people what people are feeling when when they're feeling those emotions in particular situations
0: that's massive. Like I'm just here going like, Oh, I love this so much because yeah, like I get triggered all the time in terms of that and get that flood of emotion. Um, Mm. how would you like best advise, like if someone was to come to you and say like, I'm constantly having these, you know, these wounds or this programming, um, mm. is show, show, like, right, showing itself to me in these different aspects. How do I go about healing or moving through or changing this wiring so that perhaps, like even though we can't wipe the system, like it's always going to be there in mm. our supercomputer, how can we change the programming um, so that perhaps it's just not so overwhelming? Like how can we change our response yeah. to that? It,
1: it's never. It's never about erasing memories it's not it's never about erasing memories memories are there to serve you um, it's about changing the perception of stress to those memories because all of those responses they're just emotional responses stress it's all stress responses is is what's happening so something a historic conflict is being made relevant and essentially that is awakening a perception of a stressful stimulus and and then you're having a stress response to that stressful stimulus or stimuli now, my response to that is that really healing is something that every single one of us. There's no person alive on the planet that isn't here to heal. So every single one of us has wounds, every single one of us creates wounds for the express purpose of healing them. Um and a lot of people spend their lives avoiding that and then they just experience pain, they experience dysfunction, um they experience all of that just via the resistance that they're creating to their own healing, which is what every single one of us is supposed to do. So, my response is that you should go and find someone either like myself or someone, someone else who you believe actually knows about this sort of stuff. Um, and someone whose words resonate with you, someone whose words just actually make you feel like, Oh, that makes sense. Yes, that's right. Okay. No, I can, you know, if something, if you can hear someone speaking or you listen to, you know, you, you hear about the way they approach things um, and it just resonates, it just feels right and makes you feel comfortable. That's probably a really good place to go and explore so that would be my first response: is go, is go and find someone. To actually, seek out the help that you need to heal. Um, and and that's that's pretty much everybody all the time. Um, if you want to, if you want to try and exp- walk that path on your own, which a lot of people really do, a lot of people that just want to say, look, no, no, this is my journey, and I just want to walk the path every single step myself, and I want to understand. It'll be a much slower path, but that's if that's what's right for people. That's what's right. So my my approach with that and my response would be. Mindfulness is a fantastic way to go. You need to pay attention to what you're feeling and you can journal, you can write down, that can help you to make sense of things because sometimes the feedback that you're getting can just be overwhelming and it can make it it can make it much easier to identify patterns over time when you're actually writing these things down and you can actually see patterns unfolding over days, weeks and and months. But paying attention to the things that you're feeling And something that I advise my clients on, once we've changed things, so once we've gone and changed a whole bunch of perceptions of stress and then essentially what I'm telling them post-session is you're going to go out and you're going to encounter the exact same situations that previously caused you stress and they're now no longer going to cause you stress. But when you're in that situation and you feel different, you're probably not going to understand it. It's just going to feel like, there's supposed to be a habitual response here. And what am I supposed to be? I'm supposed to be doing something, feeling something. And in the background will be that conscious mind putting its hand up, saying, I know what to do here. There's the anxiety pattern. There's the fear pattern. There's the, you know, there's the, the, the anger pattern that I can run. Um, But really once you've changed the patterns, you'll be there. You'll be there looking at the previous situation, which previously gave you stress. And you're now just there not feeling stress, feeling different and you can't quite make sense of it. So the question to ask is, what's the truth of this situation? What's, what is actually happening here? I'm feeling something. I recognize this is that same stressful situation. How much of what I'm feeling is actual real emotion. How much of this is memory and habit? How much of this is just the brain creating a habit and creating its brain experiencing a habit and trying to create that which it expects or anticipates is going to be here in this space for me. So how much of this is the brain just creating this for me and how much of it is real true emotion? And for the people that I work with once you've changed things, typically what they seem to say is that it's around about they recognize that oh, it's only about 10% real real emotion or 20% real emotion and it's 80 or 90% habit. And then we'll go and say, okay, right, well now we're just going to draw conscious attention to the parts of the mind that we changed these new beliefs or literally these new mindsets. And then when they just bring those new mindsets or new beliefs into that space, all of a sudden they realize like, actually, this is all habit. It's actually not really emotion at all. So if you haven't changed those things, you will still be able to ask for truth. And clearly it'll be a slower process because you might still be experiencing 50, 60, 70, 80% of that situation might actually be real emotion. But as soon as you can actually sit, start to see through it, you can actually see that there is a level of falseness to what you're experiencing, and and there's just a level of it that is habit. Well, that allows you to start chipping away at it. So, attention is key. If you can place your if you can place your attention on, um, if you can place your attention on what you're experiencing, um, and then actually begin to see the truth of the situation, then you just begin to dissolve it straight away.
0: That's amazing. I love that. I love that. And it's that gift of finding that pause within how, you know, like that, exactly like you were saying with the mindfulness, um, Mm. becoming aware of what's going on within your body before um, you actually choose to react or respond to it, like, which is more often than not that programming. That is coming from your beautiful big supercomputer upstairs, which has picked up all this information. Which overall, all it's really trying to do is keep us safe, and same it's safe for our brain.
1: Completely, and so much of it, really, when we talk about all that stuff, it really—it's just a fancy way with a couple with a little bit of a structure placed around it, around saying really what you need to do is just be present. So if you can just be present in the moment, and you just ask yourself, "What am I feeling?" What am I actually feeling? right? That's, just, that's, that's getting present. That's just being present in the moment rather than allowing your mind to just run off with a program that it, that it anticipates should be running in that moment. So when we're present, we can make changes. When we're just running on autopilot or we're just literally working from anticipation um, and prediction, which is what the brain's trying to do all the time, um, Yeah, well, that's when we just get caught up in patterns and life's fairly challenging to change.
0: Amen to that. Um, I was gonna go down a full other tangent of like the way that um, music affects our brain, but I think we've covered a really big, chunky, um, amazing topic here that I don't even, I think that's probably like whew, a lot for our little, you know, to take on today oh, my phone, my computer's going off with all its um, notifications. How can people work with you? Like I know that I found you on Instagram and I follow along like, you know, just waiting for your videos and things to come up because the way that you articulate, oh my gosh, my computer, Um, the way that you articulate what is actually going on within our, our minds, how we can change it and, um, you know the systems that we buy, that we can make that happen. It just really t- like it demystifies it so much. So where can we find you on Instagram and how can people work with you?
1: Yeah. So look, just on the brain guy, the dot brain dot guy. Um, Instagram. That's the same on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there's a website which is just the brain guy, all one word. Um, you can drop me a DM or shoot me an email via any of those kind of platforms. Uh, and so. I just, yeah, I just have people who just literally some people will want, will want to chat and have a, have a discussion, get a feel for whether what's, what's right. And I'm on board with that because as I said, it's, you, you really want to make sure that whomever you go and work with and whether it's healing for, you know, it's, it's starting from a therapeutic sense and starting from a, from the, the healing end, or if you're already done all your healing and you're literally just looking to up level and looking and looking to really improve or you know elevate your experience of life there's kind of there's there's no point from which we can't start there's kind of no point from which we can't still improve or, or up level things so yeah, some people some people are really keen to just have more information and understand what's going on and get a feel for what's going on so you can shoot me a dm other people just say right this feels right and i'm just going to book it and so people just some people just book straight in um but yeah i i generally say the minimum requirement to do work with the brain guy is you just need to have a brain so if you have one of those we can definitely do something with you
0: well that is good and so what do you like yay for every one of us with brains who are tuning in today <laughs> to listen or already ahead but exactly how do you actually work with people obviously there would be an element of talk therapy how else like i'm guessing there's like some somatic therapy with movement that sort of thing I don't know, I could be completely off here. But what sort it, of things do you do with clients if they're you know, coming to you to move through something?
1: It depends. It really, really, and I know that's an ambiguous answer, but it really depends. So the way that I work, I'll just give you an insight into I guess what's unfolded for me. So I started with a paradigm um, called Applied Movement Urology, which is just an amazing, it's an, an amazing education set, which is I found an absolutely mind-blowing education um, which just took me all into the brain, into neurology. And then you start at you're your touching on, on emotions and all neurologic systems. And it's a very different way of looking at the body. Um, what I, essentially what I did was I've just gone and taken that paradigm and, and three others and kind of put these different, I put these four paradigms together, um, which just gave a far more comprehensive kind of all-encompassing look at the mind, at the body, at the energetic anatomy of the body. So you could just consider things. So really what I became able to do was just be able to identify what's going on, actually be able to identify what we might call as a, you know, a neurologic reference point to a dysfunction, to a pain, to a, a behavioural pattern, to whatever it is, an output of life that's just not one that you would like to maintain. And once we can identify a reference point, then rather than just have one paradigm and its methodology of how to resolve that, then began to just be able to ask the body say ask the body ask the mind okay what do you want how do you want to resolve this like how what's the best way for this particular body this particular mind in this moment to go and clear this and so i started with those four paradigms and then it's just evolved and it just things i can't really give people a context on just how fast things move in this space but i guess if you can kind of understand and accept that when you talk to most neuroscientists they'll tell you that there's far more about about the brain that we don't know than what we do know. And you know, it's uh, some people will say that we've really only just scratched the surface in terms of our understanding of the brain. So when you're kind of playing with these systems all the time, working with people, you're just discovering things all the time. And you can read medical papers, you can read scientific studies and you can literally just go and take those findings and just throw them straight into play and start working with people on them. You don't have to wait for a drug. You don't have to wait for some fancy new machines um, to be developed. The human brain is, ab- and mind is absolutely limitless. And we can just, we can literally just use these things. We can access that le- that level of, of functionality um, pretty much straight away. And so uh, things move and evolve really, really fast in this space. So as I said, I started with kind of those four paradigms and then it's just evolved into, into so much more. So really people come to me and we just sit down really quickly and, and work out what is it that you actually want? Where, what are you looking to get? What are you looking to receive? You know, how do you want your life to look? How do you want things to be? And then once we're clear about that, then we have a clear intention about where we want to go and the brain, the mind are far, far, far more intelligent than you or I are consciously and it knows how to get there. It knows what it needs always. It knows what the answers are. So we just have to ask the right questions. And then we can actually draw the, the answers and the information that we need from the system and we can just up-level far like, more quickly than what most people really believe, know, believe or understand to be possible.
0: Oh, my goodness. I have one more question because it just sparked <clears> there and I know you have to go. But when you had just mentioned that our brain is way more comprehensive and conscious and clever than what <clears> we <throat> understand, Can we quickly talk about vibes? Like, you know how you get that Hmm. um, vibe from someone? I I am constant, like I'm way more feely and led intuitively than I can give any conscious reason for. So why is it that when we meet some people without them even speaking, um, because I mean, we could talk about intuition in terms of like anything, but in terms of person-to-person basis, what are we reading? What are our bodies picking up on, into or our brain? Do you is that something that yep. you can? Yep.
1: Yeah. So it, the the answer is any number of things, and possibly all numbers of things. So in the physical body, so from what the way science would look at it, you might say that really what there is, we can talk about pheromones. We can talk about so um, hormones that are on a sub on a on subtle subconscious levels are being detected and picked up by. Um, the vomeronasal gland, uh, within the hypothalamus. And so in the physical body, we can pick up on, on the hormones or the fear, the hormones of stress or the hormones of anxiety or the hormones of love, the hormones of happiness, which are subtly, um, out there in the, um, in the ambient environment around, around each person. So, and we if, if, on the on the dating circuit, people talk about having good pheromones. They talk about, say, you know, like I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm giving off really, really good pheromones, and I just attract good people. And that's <laughs> you know, that's you hear people talking about that. But yeah. everybody is giving off pheromones. It just depends on what emotions you're maintaining. So you can walk into in into uh, a really a room that's just full of stress, and you can feel the stress in the room. You can feel the anxiety in the room because multiple people in that room are experiencing stress and anxiety, and they're all. Um, they're all emitting a similar pheromones. Now that's that's uh, very much chemical. So that's what we would look at in the in the physical body. And that's very much where the scientific paradigm would, would place its attention. Um, you're also picking up energy. So every living organism has an energy field. So, and in esoteric terms, it's referred to as the aura. Uh, in more scientific terms, we just call it the human energy field. And so we have a collection of different energy fields that go around the body. And these fields are visible. They, they get, they've been evidence, they've been photographed, they've been, you know, they've been perceived seen. Um, there's all kinds of evidence for these things. Yet people still want to sort of deny their existence because it doesn't quite fit the scientific model, but everybody will have an experience of that. When you're coming into contact with other energy fields, um, different energy fields will give you a different response. So you can, you can have an energetic response of defense or opening up and and experiencing feelings of love, or you can just experience um, a different frequency of energy coming into contact with yours and there will be a reaction. Um, And so we have different behavioral or different habitual responses to different frequencies of energy. Um, And so that's, that's a huge one. That is something that every single one of us experiences all the time. And once we begin to place our attention on that, um, then we begin to understand how others are are affecting us. And we can see, we we begin to see an interconnectedness um, of organisms. Like there's no, there's actually no separation from, from one organism to the next because, because of these fields um there are there are fields which are unified within us that literally just have no boundary which means that every single one of us is moving through them and so um some people describe them as a matrix other people describe it as um, a field of intelligence that literally organizes things in the universe Um, but every single living organism has its own energy field and all energy fields um, are made up of energy consciousness, and that energy consciousness will react in certain different ways to other fields of of energy consciousness. And so, some people will be more attuned to that and have more like real conscious awareness when they when things come into their field and they change. Um, and this is one way how fear works: uh, that people will you can sense something behind you, and you just you kind of just get a sense you know that there's something there, and um, you start to experience fear. Um, up to 3.5 seconds before you actually have the, um, before you actually have conscious conscious awareness of what's going on. And that's very much, that's very much a survival response that we actually have that, have that, a bit, have that ability. Um, it's very much the, the one I go back to in that with fear responses. And this I think makes sense for people here in Australia. We're all very aware of most people know who Mick Fanning is the surfer. Um, yep. And so the, he had that traumatic incident in South Africa where a great white shark, Yes. Um, snuck up on him and you can see he's sitting on his board and a fin appears and, and the fin's not moving. There's no sound. There's no anything. But then for no apparent reason, he just whirls around because he knows there's something there. And he described, he just said, I just, I just felt like someone was sneaking up on me. I felt like there was someone behind me and he turned around and there was a great white shark that was, that was kind of wrapped up in his leg rope. So that August, that animal came in within his field. He had a fear reaction Um, And then, you know, up to 3.5 seconds beforehand, and then he was, he actually got conscious awareness of that to whirl around before this thing actually made contact with him. And so that's a really clear way on where you can, you can actually see Mm. someone have an awareness of something behind, behind them, um, because it's coming, because it's coming to his, into his field. And so that's kind of what you're what you're describing. Not necessarily in fear process when you're talking about mm-hmm. vibes. We can have happy reactions as well. We can we have those fields that just really, just fit and feel like home when we when we come into contact with those, and they'll and they'll create feelings of love. Um, but that but these are I guess abilities that every single one of us has, and if we pay attention to them, then via neuroplasticity, we begin to build out the synaptic connections in the brain that allow us to tune into them more readily, more easily, more frequently, and actually make use of that, of that information.
0: Thank you for putting a beautiful scientific and uh, a scientific spin and explanation on something that more often is you know, seen out by many as being like a little woo-woo or, God, I hate <laughs> them, but you know what I mean, something <laughs> unexplainable and mystic. Thank you for putting that on it because I'm all about the vibes. So um, <laughs> and I know many of my listeners will also be going, this is so cool. So thank you so, so much. I definitely encourage everyone to jump on over to Scott's um, Instagram page, check him out on Facebook, have a look at his website. I got lost in, lost in the whole thing in terms of <laughs> like following where you're doing your lectures and your programs. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time today. And I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: Okay. Thank you very much for the chat. They're really, really cool topics to get to chat about. And so I hope that people have experienced an expansion of awareness. Um, And I guess the thing I would say is because we've touched on a bunch of concepts that um, many people would kind of describe as being out there. And if there are concepts that have just come into your awareness for the first time today in this discussion, um, it can be worth going back and re just just listen. To, if you got this far into the conversation, then you have my gratitude. I'm very grateful that you've listened this far. Um, but if you've listened this far and you are finding yourself um, thinking like, "Wow, I'm trying to get my head around some of this stuff that was just right out there," then just save this conversation. Just park it for three months, six months. You know, go and allow more of this information to just come into your awareness in that time. And when you when it feels right, just come back and revisit, and you may find that there's a whole other level of information actually available within this conversation for you.
0: I love that, and it's so true. It'll land for you when it's meant to land, and it does. Yes, late, well said.
1: Mm.
0: Oh, thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, pleasure. Thanks for your thank you very much, Katie.